0: That we are gonna be in uh, 2 Timothy today, so if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we have some Bibles in some of the pew racks uh, because we have pew racks because we own a church that has pews, and pews have pew racks, and so that's fantastic, um, but I would encourage you to bring your Bibles with you uh, to church. Uh, we're gonna take a slow run uh, at 2 Timothy. If you are a part of the journey in the fall, we worked through 1 Timothy Uh, In the fall, we began that, I think it was on September the 18th, and in that particular message was an overview of 1st and 2nd Timothy, a lot of context about Ephesus, where Timothy is pastoring, a lot of context about the Apostle Paul, Timothy, their relationship. I'm not going to repeat all that for you today, but if you're newer here, I would encourage you To go back to that message, it's on our website, uh, September 18th, to get a lot of that context. Uh, Same characters in 2 Timothy as in 1 Timothy, Paul, the apostle, writing to his son in the faith, his dear son in the faith, Timothy, who is pastoring in the ancient city of Ephesus. For Timothy, he is in the same city and in the same situation that he was in with Paul's first letter. Uh, A difference in 2 Timothy is that Paul is now in a very different situation. Uh, He is now writing from a a dark and cold Roman prison cell. He is awaiting his imminent death. And so I I, want to encourage you as we think about this letter today, as we begin this, you need to consider the context of which Paul is writing and you need to consider uh, the emotion that Timothy certainly was feeling as he is reading this letter uh, from his mentor, Pastor Paul. Uh, Second Timothy is a clear uh, and quite bold call for Timothy, and not just Timothy, but for the church that he was leading in Ephesus uh, to persevere in, su- in suffering. And it wasn't a call to persevere. If you are facing suffering, it was a call to persevere in the reality of the suffering that you are currently in, that we share in the sufferings of Christ and we hold to the hope that we have in the living God in his death and in his resurrection. Um, It's a very personal letter, a very personal letter. Um, Personal details as we read through the letter uh, reveal a man, Paul, settling his accounts and preparing for his death. In 1 Timothy, uh, the language was, Timothy, we must fight the good fight of faith. And that phrase repeated three or four times. In 2 Timothy, the language changes for Paul. It is, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and he is literally passing the baton Uh, to Timothy. So very personal letter. Um, I would even encourage you to think about the letter like this. It's a letter of lament. Second Timothy is a letter of lament. I even wrote that at the top of Second Timothy, letter of lament. And it it ties in quite well, honestly. I didn't plan it this way, uh, but I think the providence of God planned it this way. Uh, that we are stepping into this letter of lament coming uh, out of the last three Sundays that we've had together, engaging on lament in our lives. What does it look like for us as a people of God to hold our sorrow and our hope all at the same time? And that lament holds that space together, and we will see the theme of lament in this, um, in this letter, Paul speaks even today in our passage today of their shared tears, the tears that he has and had and the tears that Timothy has and had. And he speaks of their shared grief. And we're holding hope and joy and peace in the midst of those realities. Um, it's four chapters. And so we will spend the next eight weeks A couple of weeks per chapter. And so, as you're thinking about reading along and studying along with us, we'll finish chapter one, obviously, next week, and then we'll go to chapter two. So, around eight weeks, which will lead us right to Easter. Uh, And so, Easter is on April 9th uh, this year. So, we'll be in 2 Timothy leading up to Easter. Here's an outline uh, of the letter uh, by chapter, pretty simple outline, and uh, lots of exhortation. Again, Paul, facing imminent death, end of his life. Lots of exhortation to Timothy. He's passing ministry to his son in the faith. Chapter one, guard the treasure of the gospel. Endure for the sake of the gospel. Um, Chapter two, suffer hardship and endure. Uh, There continues to be serious opposition in Ephesus to the gospel. And so you're going to continue to suffer Uh, Timothy, and you must learn how to endure in the face of that opposition. Uh, Chapter 3, stand firm, hold fast to the truth of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is that verse that most of you heard before, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful, the Scripture, the truth of the Scripture is useful in our lives to to lead us in righteousness, to guide us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and to train us and equip us for every good work that God has in our lives. Stand firm in the truth of the scripture. Uh, Chapter four, preach the word. Fulfill your ministry. I have fulfilled my ministry. Timothy, you are called to fulfill your ministry ministry. We're going to just get barely into the scripture this morning, just seven verses for us uh, this morning. I'm going to uh, read it first, the first seven verses, and then we'll kind of go verse by verse, and it kind of moves around. So each time we change verses, it's kind of little sermonettes, and so not everything connects. In uh, and, and these seven verses, and so I'm going to try to uh, walk us through that so you're uh, grabbing on to what uh, the Lord has given me for you this morning. And again, as we read these seven verses, I want you to picture and, and feel the impact of lament in Timothy's life and the lament that Paul is holding in his prison cell as he writes these words to his son in the faith. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses one to seven, this is the word of the Lord, the living scripture, alive and profitable for us this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, which I'll just pause there. Facing death, writing to Timothy, in tears, gratitude. Operating in gratitude even in the midst of the great sorrow that he was feeling in his own heart. And not only thanking God, a heart to serve God, whom I serve. Uh, That Greek word that's translated serve in my NIV can also be translated worship. I'll talk about that in just a minute, why it's important for us to hold both of those realities together. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is for you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given you a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Um, verse by verse, let's just walk through this together. Paul begins the letter uh, by reflecting on his past. And we know that in Acts chapter 8, that Paul was an enemy of the movement of Jesus and Christianity, he was a murderer. He was murdering Christians, and then in Acts chapter eight, there's this incredible reality of how God uh, saves Paul and reorients his whole life uh, from a murderer of Christians to advancing the gospel to Gentiles. It's really remarkable, and so he's reflecting on his past. I'm an apostle by the will of God. God did this for me, in me, through me. And then he reflects on his future according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. It's not surprising that given Paul's literal circumstances, anticipating his death, that he is leaning into the promise of life, eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. This sounds this first verse for me. It, it sounds and feels for me like what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippi or Philippians one twenty one famous verse that you may have heard before where Paul says, "For me to live to live in the reality of the present, to live as Christ, but to die is does anybody know gain." like I'm holding the reality that the gospel of Jesus has awakened me to abundant life here and now and awakened me that when we pass away from this life, we are passing into the reality and the beauty of eternal life in Jesus. And certainly, I find encouragement that Paul is leaning in to that eternal hope we have in Jesus facing his own death. In facing death, he is holding space Between sorrow and hope, he is lamenting, yet he is trusting. He is suffering, yet he is believing in the supernatural promises of God. I shared this a couple of weeks ago with you that part of the sacredness for me and talking with you over the course of three Sundays about lament and even inviting you into some of our own story is that Some of you have invited me into the sacredness of your own sorrow. And I've had conversations with you. I've shared text messages with you. I've had email dialogue with you. And one of the emails, and I got permission to share this, one of the emails is from my friend uh, Linda Beard. One of the things that I said in the very first Sunday of the Lament Series was that when we lament, when we grieve in silence, and we grieve in isolation, it's a soul killer. And she expressed to me that I had been grieving in silence for 36 years at the passing of my younger sister, Kathy. And she wrote a lament, and it was powerful and beautiful. And I was invited into that sacred space with her. And in that email, she attached a picture of a letter that her little sister Kathy had written to her when she was 17 years old. Almost at the very end of her life in the hospital, 17-year-old Kathy writes these words to her big sister Linda. In that space of suffering, sorrow, I'm holding lament and hope that life is in Jesus. And we read it in the Scripture, and I hope and pray that it's awakening you to the truth of God. But I'm sharing this testimony to you because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. And here's a testimony from a 17-year-old who is facing her own imminent death, and this is what she tells her sister. She says, it'll be okay. I love you. Jesus is everywhere. Christ Jesus is everywhere. Linda, I am holding hope, and I'm praying that you are holding hope as well. That's really powerful. Christ Jesus is everywhere. Paul uses Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ 32 times in the pastoral letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. When I was was a little little guy, I used to think that Christ was Jesus' last name, right? Um, It's not. It's not his last name. It's the title of his messiahship. It's the reality that he is the long-awaited Messiah. You could also translate, that Greek word for Christ could be translated Messiah or anointed one. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. And Paul makes it clear over and over and over again, we have hope in our suffering. We can persevere because Jesus is the Christ. And he says in verse 2, begins the letter after the salutation, after 2 Timothy, colon, he begins the letter in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Letters in antiquity always began with some type of salutation, and then it was addressed to whoever the letter was written to, and then the letter began. And so, verse 2 is the beginning of the letter. What's the first word of the letter, if you have your Bible open? After he says to Timothy, my dear son, what's the first word of the letter? Grace. Do you remember when we closed up the 1st Timothy series? We talked about this. Do you remember what the first word of the letter, 1st Timothy, was? Grace. If you have your Bible open, look at the last word of 1 Timothy. What's what's the last word? Grace. Guess what the last word of 2 Timothy is? Grace. 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 There is a lot of exhortation in 1 Timothy and a lot of exhortation in 2 Timothy, and everything, this, this, all these exhortations, this, these calls to persevere in suffering, all of the urging, all of the rebuking, everything spoken falls in between grace and grace. Now, I'm a grace preacher, and I don't apologize for it, but here's the reality. I'm not making this stuff up. This is in the Bible. Every pastoral letter, every letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, which is the majority of the letters in the New Testament, they start with grace and they end with grace, grace on grace. From the fullness of God, John 1:16, the vision verse for our whole church, we have received, we have not earned, we have not clamored for it, we have not done anything to get it. From the fullness of the heart of God, you have received grace on grace. And so I'm, I want to ask you, like, why do you think that is? Why do, you, why do you think that Paul begins and ends every letter with grace and grace? It's because we don't have the power to do any of it on our own. Because we must be empowered by grace to walk and the exhortation of scripture and following the way of Jesus and advancing his kingdom in this world. It's the anointing of grace. It's the empowerment of grace. It's the fullness of grace on the front end, on the back end, and everywhere in between. For Paul, everything is in between grace. And grace. Be reminded of Paul's own testimony. Turn your Bible over a couple of pages to the beginning of 1 Timothy. Let me remind you of his own personal testimony of what he says about the grace of God and the mercy of God in his life. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, Acts chapter 8, I was shown mercy, Acts chapter 9. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He experienced God's grace in powerful and life-transforming, life-altering ways. And he knew, he knows that God can and does forgive and transform even the seemingly unforgivable people just like him, to which he calls himself, I am the worst of sinners. You are not the worst of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. And God's grace was poured out on me. So when I proclaim the pouring out of God's grace on you, believe it and receive it. It is a gift that God has given us grace always gets the first word and it always gets the last word grace is the truth and the truth is grace come on grace on grace two rivers that's what it means by the way if you didn't know that i love the Cashlaputa river and i love the big thompson river but that ain't the two rivers Two rivers is grace and grace. Verse three, I thank God. Remember, in his prison cell facing death, I thank God whom I serve, whom I worship, as my forefathers did. Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I'm recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Uh, Leading in Ephesus, had to have been hard for Timothy. And we know that it was hard for Timothy because the first letter begins with Paul urging him to stay there and not pull the ripcord and leave. Again, picture Timothy reading this letter of lament privately, deep emotion. Paul is tender, right? I, I'm recalling your tears. I long to see you. There's no guarantee that Paul's gonna see Timothy again, but he's long, he has his heart longing to see Timothy. He's tender. Timothy is tender. Yet hope, yet hope, service, gratitude, somehow, some way, is very much alive in the midst of all those tears and all that longing. And I'm wondering if you have ever experienced this before in your own life. Uh, tears longing for something, but there was no guarantee that what you're longing for would actually happen, but our hearts are longing, but yet somehow there was worship and gratitude in the midst of that. Um, Non-believers would look at you and call you foolish, but I'm wondering if you have ever experienced that before, perhaps at a celebration of life, service, perhaps, sadness, tenderness, grief, and yet hope, gratitude, and worship very much alive. It's what the scripture calls supernatural comfort. Paul calls God himself, the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter one. And then this call, like, because God is the God of comfort and we've received his supernatural comfort, we can comfort one another in the ways that we ourselves have been comforted. And so even in the midst of sorrow, tears, longing, we can operate in gratitude, service and worship. It's supernatural. But I've experienced I wonder if you have experienced it before. I believe it's so important for us to not let go of those things in our grief and our laments, not to let, not let go of gratitude, not to let go of worship and serving. Again, that Greek word that's translated "serve" in the NIV can also be translated. Worship. And it's really important, I believe, for us to see uh, worship and serving as the same reality. I think sometimes we think, oh, this is worship. This is what we do when we worship. We gather together and we, we sing praises. And certainly, certainly that is worship. Certainly it is. But I will tell you that the humble servants are the most Holy Spirit-filled worshipers that I know. The servants. When we do our fifth Sunday, scattered Sunday, and our language is, hey, we're still having church, but we're just not having church in this way. We're gonna gather and then we're gonna scatter and serve projects. And we're gonna worship. And what I want to give you a, a visual of, because that Greek word can be translated serve and worship, it's both the same. This, this is worship. I mean, we look at it and it's like, man, it was by the way, it was really cold last Sunday. It's like negative temps. You remember last Sunday? And this life group is out serving our neighbors, blessing our neighbors, shoveling their sidewalks and uh, giving them hot cocoa just as a way to say thank you. We see you. We're glad you're our neighbor. This is at the Alpha Center, one of our mission partners. We're doing a deep clean. Uh, this is at Lighthouse, uh, Sober Living for Men. Lindsay sharing some of her story related to her brother. Uh, this is at Serve 6-8. Now I look at these pictures and I go, what do you see here? Do you see people serving or do you see people worshiping? The answer is yes. I see people serving and worshiping. Um, I recognize and know from my own experience that when we are in grief, when we are longing for things, when we have tears, the psalmist says, there's a reality sometimes in our life when our tears have been our food day and night, that it can be difficult and hard to come to a gathering like this and to stand and sing. I can remember that vividly in my life. It can be hard to do that. It can be challenging to pray and to thank God. And I remember feeling really stuck around that. And I spoke to you a few weeks ago at my friend Al And he was my grief counselor, and this is what he told me one day. He told me, he goes, Jason, you need to find space in your grief to do something for someone else once a day. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how small it is. But you need to find space once a day to serve someone else. Write a note It doesn't matter what it is. Why did he tell me to do that? Because he understood that in serving, you are worshiping. And in worshiping, you are serving. And I was stuck staring at my grief, being overwhelmed by my own grief. He literally was just saying, you need to serve someone. And in serving someone, look up. Because when you're serving someone, you're worshiping. And when you're worshiping God, you're looking at God. And God began to create some traction in my soul. I'll never forget that counsel. Verse five. Verse five. This is a family dynamic, right? Sincere faith. He talks about Timothy's uh, mama and his grandmama. I'm from the South, so we say mama and grandmama, okay? I've been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. The gospel the hope of the gospel is being passed from one generation down to the next generation, down to the next generation. And Timothy was a recipient of that discipleship, that ministry, and Paul brings it to his mind. Um, I read this and I think, well, I think, I I was so fortunate where I grew up. I grew up in a small little town and uh, my mother's parents lived two houses down, which is a quarter of a mile away, and my dad's parents lived a mile the other side. I lived on the same street with all of my grandparents. So I grew up at their house multiple times a week. And so I read this, and I think, my grandmamas and my mama, so I think of Martha and Mary and Judy. And uh, I I don't know how this all works, but... I believe that there's something really special and really powerful about praying grandmamas and praying mamas. There's something. And uh, so be encouraged by that, moms and grandmoms in the room. Like you pray for those kids, you pray for those grandkids. Um, Encourage one another in those ways. Timothy was a recipient of that. Uh, What I wanna point out on this is there is major impact when discipleship happens in the home. And I would say to you, it's the most effective discipleship that there is when our children are receiving discipleship from their parents. Uh, Parents, you are the primary disciple makers of your children. Our heart, Becca's heart, uh, all the volunteers that are caring for your kids right now on the other side of the building, is to come alongside you, certainly. To care for your children, to love them, to point them to the hope and the grace we have in Jesus. But I want to say this in an exhorting kind of way, an encouraging kind of way. Do not depend on one hour a week to disciple your children in the faith of Jesus. You must carry the discipleship primarily in your home. Um, We, just like Lois and Eunice, are raising up the next generation of Jesus followers and leaders. Um, And I would even say this, this um, class that we're doing, foundations class, what is the gospel? How do we read and study the Bible? How do we grow in our faith? That might be a, a class that you might need parents just to get some equipping tools from really gifted teachers like Jody, Greg, and Paul that you can take what they're giving you and give it down to your children. Just a thought for you to consider um, as we offer that class in the coming weeks. All right, we'll close 6 and 7. Let me, read this. Let me read this again with you. For this reason, for what reason? For the reason that you have sincere faith, Timothy, For the reason that I know that you are a true follower of Jesus, for this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control, or your translation might say self-discipline. Do you think that, I mean, this is a personal letter personal letter from Paul to Timothy. Do you think that perhaps Timothy was struggling with some timidity and fear? To which I would go, was Timothy a human being, <laughs> right? Do you struggle to one degree or another with fear and timidity in your life? Are you a human being? Yes, yes. I am. We all struggle. I struggle. We all struggle. And when we are, when we are afraid, when we struggle with fear, what do we tend to stare at? When we get gripped with anxiousness, angst, fear, like what do we tend to stare at? The circumstance that we're afraid of. Would you agree with that? Am I wrong there? And when we're staring at that, my tendency is to try to fix it or control it to some degree so that I'm not afraid anymore. And so I'm staring at it, and I'm trying to fix it. And what I need to do in that situation so that I'm I'm not stuck in my fear and I'm not trying to control people is I need to fan into the flame of my own heart that God has given me the gift of power, love, and self-control. And I need to ask God to help me. I need to fan in that it's not about earning, but it is about effort. So fanning into the flame is appropriating the gift that God has given me, that God has given you. I would even encourage you in your Bible where it says, given us. I would circle that. I would encourage you to circle that, given, given us. It's not that we've earned it. It's not that we've taken anything. These gifts, power and love and self-control, these are not commodities. These are the gifts of God's spirit that we learn how to appropriate in our lives. Like, I can't control anybody. Right? I, I can't control a four-year-old, right? On a good day, on a good day, I can control myself, right? And so we need to learn to fan the flame of God's gift to us in these ways. What do we do when we are afraid? Where do we we go? We look up. Just stare at the circumstances. Don't just try to fix it. Look up. I lift my eyes up. To the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is ever present and ready to help you in your time of trouble. Power, love, sound mind, empowerment. The biblical emphasis is so clearly on the impartation of spiritual gifts. I can feel in my spirit Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know it's hard there. I know it's hard there. Life is hard, yes. Will you suffer? Yes. Are there tears? Yes. But we, we are powerful, Timothy. We have been given a spirit of power, and we have been given the spirit of love, and we have been given the spirit of self-control. So I want to say to you, do you have hard life circumstances? Have you suffered? Are you suffering? Has life been unfair? Is there brokenness in your life? Yes. Yes. Have there been tears? Are there tears? Yes. But you are a powerful person. Why? Because you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have been given the spirit of power. And you've been given a spirit of love. And you have been given a spirit of self-control. How can we love our enemies? How could I possibly love my enemies? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of love. How can I possibly overcome the grief and the lament that I carry? The Holy Spirit. How could I possibly in my life operate in self-control when sometimes life feels so out of control? The Holy Spirit. You have been given spirit of power, love, self-control. Fan into its flame. Appropriate what you have been given so that you will taste and know and see and experience what Paul says in Romans 8. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. And that you have been given the spirit of power to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. Part of the, the power of that lament service that we had on Sunday night and hearing people's stories of lament is literally like hearing what they're holding and then watching people come down and light all these candles down here on the front. And knowing the pain, I'll just, the pain in the room was palpable. And then we stand and We worship. We lifted our eyes up, and it was the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us, to us, through us. Um, I should I should pray, worship team, you should come back up. Um, let me pray, Lord. I don't I don't know, I don't know what it means for each person in this room to fan into the gift that you have given them, the spirit of power, of love, and of self-control, of self-discipline. I don't know what that means for each person, but I do pray, God, that you would give each person wisdom and strength and courage and fellowship with one another to help us raise our gaze From our fear, from our sorrow, to the mountains, to heaven, to receive the strength that you have given us to be more than conquerors and to overcome. Lord, we truly want to continue to learn what it means practically in our lives to hold the space between our tears and our hope. And Lord, I just speak against the spirit of fear. I speak against the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus by the power of his blood. And I speak the name of Jesus over fear. I speak the Holy Spirit in us over fear. And I pray, God, for deliverance, healing, peace, that passes understanding.